Father, that song concluded with the phrase, may all my days bring glory to your name. And as we come here this morning, we come with so many things in our minds, perhaps. The burdens of this coming week, the challenges and frustrations of this past week, the conflicts that, uh, that we may have had with various individuals throughout the week, the challenges, the burdens, the struggles. Father, I pray this morning as we come to this time of humbling our hearts to the Word of God, that you would clear all of that away and set yourself as the object, not only of our affection, but also of our worship. May we come to the place of recognizing and remembering once again this great love that you've had for us, that even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. So we are here this morning, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their only Savior, we are here because of the work that you have done for us. It's not a work that we have to do. It's a finished work. It's a completed work. And Father, I pray that in these moments, you will help to fix our attention on Christ. Set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. May, as we look into your word this morning, be reminded, be drawn into greater affection for Christ, greater love for what you have accomplished for us, greater understanding of coming to terms with the great mercy that you have showered on us. And may we, as those who experience mercy, be those who then impart and dispense that mercy to others. May that be the, the emblem of our life. As those who've received much, may we give much love and grace and kindness that we have enjoyed because of Christ. May that be, may that be the banner written across our life. God, thank you for Tom this morning and presenting the word. I pray that you would go uh, with him. Uh, may your Holy Spirit speak through him. And may the Spirit do a work in our hearts as well. Tenderize us. Make us um, pliable and receptive to the message that we hear. Do that work in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Tom Zentz. My wife Carrie and I have been members here for 39 years. On the way here this morning, we were just talking about that, and I, I can't believe that time flies so quickly. We, uh, we, uh, Carrie serves on our worship team. She serves in the nursery. I am your church clerk, uh, also the deacon uh, for missions. And uh, then we are also small group leaders. One of our greatest blessings in being here this long is that we've had time to see the Lord work in the hearts of many different people. We've seen him change lives. We've seen him heal brokenhearted. We've seen him take lives that have been ruined by sin and just refashion that by the grace of God. And, and, and heal them and, and make them something beautiful, again, for God's glory.
Um, it's a pleasure to be with you again, to open God's word, to worship him together. We have enjoyed uh, a wonderful summer series in the book of Ruth. I have personally been refreshed. It's been good seeing the loving kindness, just the tenderness of our God and how he sovereignly works in our lives. We're gonna go back to the New Testament this morning in a moment. Actually, I'll tell you, it's on page 1000 in your, um, if you have the Pew Bible in front of you. We're gonna look at the book of Philemon, the whole book. Um, it's actually just 25 verses. And uh, before you, you can go there, but just keep a finger there. And then I also want you to go back to Colossians chapter one, if you would, please. We're gonna be looking in Colossians one at Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae, what his desire is for this church. And, and maybe before I read that, I want you to think about something for our church here. If the Lord were to answer your prayer right now, for what kind of church Maranatha Baptist Church ought to be, what would that picture of our church right this moment look like? As I began thinking about that, thinking about Paul's prayer in here in a moment, I thought, well, we, we want to be Christ-centered. We want to be spirit-led. Uh, we want to be Bible-oriented, energetic, filled, I, I would love to see us, filled with families all ages, kind of like we see right here, singing together loudly and with, with a true affection for God, glorifying Christ in our communities, Discipling and raising up new generations who, who love Jesus and want to follow him and, and to share that good news of Jesus to others. And then as we were reminded this the last couple of weeks, we want to have a church that's ready to stand if the Lord wills in the, in the face of suffering. To stand for the name of Christ. We want to be caring for one another, meeting one another's needs, forgiving one another loving one another, praying with and for one another, worshiping each Sunday from our hearts with genuine love for God. Wouldn't that be the kind of church you'd like to see? As we study the word of God this morning in the book of Philemon, the principles and the characteristics we see of some individuals there, if we are to follow those characteristics and in individuals, I think we will be even that much closer to being that kind of church that God wants us to be. But right now, you're in Colossians 1. The prayer of Paul actually starts in verse three. We're gonna pick it up in verse nine. I'm going to ask that you follow along with me as I read. Um, something we do, by the way, Wednesday nights at the McEverkins house where we have our prayer group and you're all invited. Uh, we will start our service by praying back to God his very word. So after I read what I will read with you, then I will pray and we will get started. Colossians chapter one, I'm gonna jump right in there in verse nine. It says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we think about the way that you want our church to be and, and to, to function in this lost world, I look at this text and I ask God that you would help us Lord, that we might be filled with the knowledge of your will, that you would give us your spiritual understanding and wisdom. Our tendency is to walk according to our own wishes. Help us to walk in ways that please the Lord. I pray, Father, for our church, that you would help us to be bearing fruit in every good work. God, there are some here who don't know Jesus. This morning, would you help them to increase in their understanding of who you are and your goodness and your grace? I pray, Father, that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters who are weak, that you would give the endurance that only you can give and and the patience with joy, Father. May our lives be truly thankful. You have given us so much. I pray, Father, that you would also help us to see the challenges that you've, you've put in our way, not as obstacles, but as opportunities to test our faith. Lord, you are qualifying us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who has redeemed us and has forgiven us of our sins. This morning as we open your word, I pray for your spirit to work. I pray, Father, that you would not just teach us, but that we will go away changed. Lord, that you would use us as fit vessels, useful for you, glorifying Christ. And we thank you for your work here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My selection of the text this morning was intentional. Um, You see, we're reading here from Colossians chapter 1. There was a wealthy businessman who lived in the city of Colossae. And in fact, the church at Colossae met in his house. His name is Philemon. And so this morning in our preparation to look at the book of Philemon, it was with uh, intent that we go back to the, the book of Colossians, the letter here. And um, I I think it's fascinating as you start comparing these two, but uh, the key takeaway I want you to have this morning is this. You and I, we're to receive and, and we're to forgive and accept and befriend and love others the way that Christ has received, forgiven, accepted, befriended, and loved us. That's not in your outline right there, but I would write that down. That you and I are to to receive, forgive, accept, befriend, and love others in the way that Christ has received, forgiven, accepted, befriended, and loved us. Isn't that it is amazing what Christ has done? The extent that he has gone to save me. Um, we, we sang this morning about how God is so gracious to ruined lives. I stand here among you, with you, as those who have been part of that group. Our lives, apart from Christ, were ruined. 
just ruined. But Jesus steps in, doesn't he? And he takes our, our, our mess, our brokenness, and he, he does his wonderful, beautiful work of salvation and changes us. So when I say that we're to, to treat others essentially in the way that God has treated us and have that same mercy, you might be thinking of, oh, that sounds like Ephesians 4.32, and that's a good verse. You know, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Beautiful verse. But I want you to see another verse that's even related to our context in Colossians. So if you would look at Colossians chapter 3, just flip over a couple pages there, specifically verses 12 and 13. Follow along as I read this, please. Paul writes this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, do you have should forgive? What do you have in your Bible? Must forgive. And there it is. In the same way that the Lord has forgiven you, we are to be forgivers. We must forgive. And this is the principle that we're going to be looking at here in, in the book of Philemon. I invite you to go back over to Philemon. Again, page 1000 in your pew uh, Bible there. And as you do that, I just want you to remember it's important that we have a clear view of this mercy that we've received. You see, without a clear understanding of the depth of God's mercy in my life, I'm not going to be able to fully turn around and extend that mercy to others the way that I should. Uh, it's sort of related. This morning on the way here, we were coming uh, north on 270, made the ramp going east on 70, and all of a sudden, the sun was like pff, brilliant. All right, tell me what I noticed right away. Somebody said it. The windshield and all the little spots on the windshield. And I thought, you know, those spots were there before. What's the difference? The difference is the brilliance of the sun. This morning, um, John, Pastor John, he led our service off with a, a beautiful hymn. You remember what it was? Holy, holy, holy. See, until I see God in his glory, in, in the brilliance of his majesty, until I understand more and more what his character is truly like, I'm not going to see myself properly. My spots, my sin, it's all going to be kind of hazy kind of fuzzy but the more and more I see who God truly is I can see wow this is me oh God this is me and what that does is it brings us to our knees doesn't it and it says your mercy 
You've forgiven all of this. You've washed me by the blood of Christ. Wow. But see, until I understand more and more deeply who God is, I'm not gonna be able to turn around and share that with others. Not his love, not his mercy, not his forgiveness. I won't do it. This morning I was just reading again in Lamentations 3. It's one of my favorite passages because I realized, I realized just how ruined, even though I'm received by the Lord, how, how much he's saved me from. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. Amen? Friends, some of you here might be struggling still with ruined lives. Some of you here might be just trapped by sin. The good news is you don't have to stay that way. Christ, he stands ready to free you. He has already done what's necessary. It's just a matter of trusting him. That's good news. As we look at Philemon this morning, I want you to also know something. This little letter is not primarily about the Apostle Paul. It's not even about Philemon that bears the name of the letter. It's not about the slave Onesimus that we'll look at in a little bit. It is about Jesus Christ. And it is a look at what he's done and an appeal from Paul to Philemon on the basis of the work of Christ. Would you follow along as we continue our outline? A, the circumstances of Paul's letter to Philemon. Follow as I read the first three verses here, please. Verse one, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the year is probably 60, 61, 62 AD. Paul is in prison having appealed to Caesar. He's an old man now. And while he's imprisoned, he receives some aid and also bits and news of what's happening with the churches that he was part of establishing in his missionary journeys by different individuals who've come a great distance all the way to Rome to be there with the Apostle Paul. Uh, several of these are mentioned there in verse 23. If you just look down at verse 23, you see Epaphras. You see Mark, that's John Mark. That's another cool story in itself. You see Aristarchus. You see Demas and Luke. Uh, Timothy's mentioned back in verse 1. If you go to Colossians chapter 4, you see three other individuals. Tychicus, you see Justice, and you see Onesimus. All of these as fellow servants and prisoners for the Lord. They're ministering to Paul's need. There's a lot to unpack as we start to look at the circumstances of Philemon. Uh, many of the Bible commentators kind of give us this, so let me just share it with you. Onesimus was a slave of this wealthy businessman there in Colossae. And we don't know what it was, but he took something, it seems, of value, and he ran away. He ran away from Colossae to Rome. I, uh, I thought, well, I wonder how far that is. So 
I checked it out. From Colossae to Rome is over 1,300 miles. That would be like you and I getting in a car and driving from Columbus to Denver, Colorado, and then some. And they didn't have Interstate 70. It would have taken quite a long time. Onesimus probably fled to Rome thinking, here's a place where they'll never find me. Here's a place where I can just blend in and get lost and, and it'll be okay. Little did he know. While he's there, and I don't understand this, he happens to run into the Apostle Paul while Paul's in prison. Now, friends, Rome is bigger than Columbus. You go from Denver hoping to escape, and you come to Columbus, and you find Pastor Andrew yeah, in prison, maybe. I don't, but you, 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 how does that happen except the sovereign hand of God? Some might be running away from God right now, but I'll tell you what. You cannot run from God. God's loving, gentle, sovereign hand is directing and steering in your life. And he is a good shepherd. So while he meets Paul, he hears the gospel, his life is radically transformed, and now the apostle Paul counts him as one of those fellow helpers, one who is valuable to him. In fact, Paul wants to keep Onesimus with him but Onesimus committed a crime. He broke Roman law and he defrauded his master and those things did have to be dealt with. So, he's thinking, Paul's thinking, Philemon has to be one that authorizes Onesimus' return to, to be my helper. And he writes a letter, he pens a letter and that's the letter that you have right there in front of you. The letter to Philemon by Paul. John MacArthur says, <clears throat> oh, let me put it this way. And then after he writes that letter, Paul says this, Onesimus, I want you to make that 1,300-mile trip all the way back to Colossae. Take this letter with you and show it to Philemon. So MacArthur says, it's not safe. It, would, it wouldn't have been safe for him as a slave to travel throughout the Roman Empire because they have people called slave catchers. So he's going to sign another one of the helpers, Tychicus, to accompany Onesimus. But, this is where it just really, this whole story gets amazing. There is another person whose name is Epaphras. Now, Epaphras is the pastor of the church at Colossae, 1,300 miles over here. We don't know when, but sometime earlier, he made the long trip to be one of those they came alongside Paul and ministered to him, but also to report on the condition of the churches in Colossae and the nearby Laodicea. Having heard about the challenges that the churches are facing there, Paul writes another letter to the church at Colossae. Guess what we call that? Colossians, right? And he says to Tychicus, now, you take this letter and you carry it while you're traveling together with Onesimus, and the both of you go back, each of you having your letters in hand. 
Do you follow that so far? This is amazing. It also is amazing that the letter to the Colossians really is a letter to Philemon because he's a member of the church at Colossae too. So there's a lot of cool relationships going on. So it's possible in verse 2 we see a couple people that Athea is his wife, Philemon's wife and that Archippus is his son. It's not really, you can't prove that, but that's what a lot of the Bible commentators believe. But it appears that Archippus is not just his son, but he's become the intern pastor, while Pastor Epaphras has made the journey to Rome. So this is our situation, our circumstance. I will also say this. The letter then to Philemon is a tender appeal from friend to friend for Philemon to act with forgiveness and mercy and to receive Onesimus back. He, to receive him as a brother in Christ more than a returned slave. And to do that because that's what Christ has done for Philemon. Has redeemed him and freed him. It's a beautiful letter. We're going to continue in your outline. Uh, B, the character lessons demonstrated. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, verses 4 to 22. We're going to look at three different character, uh, character traits of, of three different individuals. The first one, Paul's prayer and the character of Philemon. Would you follow along as I read verse, seven through, uh, verse 4 through 7, please? I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort for, from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Three characteristics of Philemon stand out in this section. The first two are in verse five, his love and his faith. Interestingly, his name, the name Philemon, it means affectionate one. You can kind of see Philo, right? Like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Philemon, affectionate one. One who is kind. It seems that he was a friendly person. Probably helped him in his business, maybe. But make no mistake, we are all sinners by nature. The one we love by nature is ourselves, not others. True love for God and others is based on God first loving us, as John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what does this teach us? Philemon, the affectionate one, his care for others was not something that came naturally. It was from God. It was not that he decided, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buck up and, and, and love somebody better. 
And people, friends, there's, there's people in our lives that we know we should love who are really hard to love. Your ability to love them is not gonna be because you gritted your teeth and you just, I'm gonna love you. It's because you're gonna understand more deeply the love of God for you. And having comprehended and, and, and understood just how deep the Father's love is for you, you'll be able to turn around and share that love with others. If Philemon, if the church at Colossae, and frankly, if Maranatha Baptist Church, if we're to be the church that walks in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work, we must grow in our love for and, our, and, and in our faith in the Lord Jesus and his word. We must know God more deeply. And this truth is actually borne out in verse six. I read it to you in the ESV just a moment ago, but I prefer the New English translation for this verse. And I'm gonna read it to you in the New English translation. See if you can tell the difference. It says, I pray that the faith you share with us, Paul saying to Philemon, may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. Can you see the difference? In the ESV, and I'm not putting down the ESV, it makes it sound like the blessing that you receive comes as you're sharing your faith. As you are evangelizing, you're getting a blessing. And friends, that is true. That is a great blessing. I just don't think that that's what Paul is saying to Philemon right here. I think he's saying what we read here in this, in this version, this translation, that as your understanding of our common faith, of our common body of truth, the word of God, as we understand it more deeply and we comprehend God a little bit more each day, more deeply, then we will begin to understand every blessing that comes to us in Christ. That's what Paul's appeal is to Philemon. Know God. Know the faith. Trust in God. Lean in on him. Believe him. And you will be blessed. The third characteristic of Philemon is uh, also is found in verse 7. It says he's one who refreshes others. This word to refresh is a military term. It's a word that's used in the lull of a, a, a military battle when these soldiers who are just worn out, they step aside to, to get their water. They, they get their rest and their refreshment. That's what this word is here. And this is the description of Philemon. The people that came into his presence that he talked to, they would go away going, oh, wow, wow just refreshed. Now friends, there's people that are the opposite. There's people that you talk to and you, you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm just worn out. But that was not Philemon. Philemon was one who refreshes others. I, I think of, you remember in John chapter four, when Jesus said we have to go through Samaria and he makes his way to the well there and he sees the Samaritan woman and he knows her, he knows her history. What does he offer her? 
He offers her living water. Spiritually, she's parched. And Jesus knows exactly what she needs. And that's exactly what he offers her. What does she do after she takes of the living water? She turns right around and she runs to the town and she says to everybody, could this be the man? Come and see. Wow. I was talking to one of you, and I won't mention who you are, earlier. Our theology must impact our life. As I learn about God, and as I understand who he is, my life by the Spirit of God is going to be transformed. And I will reflect Jesus to a broken world, to a parched world. That is Paul's message to Philemon. Imagine Maranatha Baptist Church being that kind of place. People who come and sit among us, whose lives are just ruined, whose lives are broken by sin. The weight of sin has just, it's paralyzed them. And we can offer the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, it doesn't have to stay that way. Your life doesn't have to remain that way. You can be free. You can be transformed. And it's nothing that you have done. It's all because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary and his victory over death at the grave. Amen? Next, we come to Paul's plea. Paul's plea in the character of Onesimus, verses 8 through 16. Follow along as I read, please. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Notice in verse 10 how tender Paul he addresses this whole situation. For my child Onesimus, whose father I became, Onesimus ran away. He was a skunk. He did something wrong. He fled the scene, and he thought he was going to get away with it, 1,300 miles away. But God led him right into the arms of the Apostle Paul, didn't he? It was not an accident, not a situation out of God's control. Onesimus was introduced to Christ, his new Lord and Master. The name Onesimus means useful. And in fact, if you look back at verse 11, 
Paul actually makes a pun using this uh, name. Formerly he, that's Onesimus, formerly he was useless to you. But now he is Onesimus to me. He is useful to me. I thought that was interesting. Onesimus became very dear to the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you, Philemon, sending my very heart. I can't imagine that the Apostle Paul would say that of many people. I, I, I just sat there and, and read through this and, and thought, what would it be like to be on that team of those that Paul would say, this is a man after my own heart. I imagine this is a person that had to be passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a person, though they might be afraid, were fearless in sharing the good news. This would have to be a person who loves Jesus. He loves others. He serves with joy, serves others sacrificially. This has to be somebody who's willing to be a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you agree? A man after my heart. Imagine visitors coming to check us out here at Maranatha. Maybe some of you are here checking us out. I don't know. They go home and they say, wow, those people have a heart for God. It might be because you're singing loudly. It might be because you greeted somebody in the foyer and shook their hand and they're like, oh, somebody noticed me. I think it might be more than that. For somebody to really say, those people have a heart for God, I think that activity actually happens outside of these walls. That's when you come along some, alongside somebody who has a need. Maybe their lawn needs mowed. Maybe their car needs fixed. Maybe they just need somebody to encourage them. Maybe they're lonely. And you take the time to sacrificially go and minister to that need. That's when, wow, those people have a heart for God. That's, that's what I think of. How are you doing at being that kind of person to others? Who in your life needs to, to have you come alongside and just be kind, to be merciful, to be loving? Paul's plea to Philemon is that he trusts in our sovereign God. He's a good God. Receive Onesimus back. Be gracious with him, just as the Lord Jesus Christ was gracious with you, Philemon. If you look at verses 15 and 16, we, I did read these, but it says, for this perhaps is why he was parted for you, from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In other words, Philemon, trust God. Trust God. He is at work in the lives of people and you don't know it. You didn't know where your slave went. God did. Receive him back as a man of God, one whose life has been changed. 
Receive him back as a brother in Christ. What a radical and bold and controversial thing. You know, he's a wealthy businessman. You receive your slave back and you're walking through the streets of Colossae. What are the other businessmen who own slaves going to think? That's not fair. He defrauded you. He stole something from you. You need need to make that right. You You need to exact judgment. What about the injustice done to Philemon? What about injustice done to you? Have you ever had injustice done to you? Does Philemon, is, is, does Paul say, Philemon, just ignore it? Does God tell us to just ignore it? I want you to just follow along at this next point, Paul's pledge and the character of Christ in verses 17 through 22. We find our answer here. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, listen to this, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh, there's that word again, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Many Bible scholars have drawn, I think, rightful parallels between what we see, the communication of Paul and Philemon to what happens between the Lord Jesus Christ and his father. Paul says, Philemon, receive him as you receive me. Jesus Christ says, receive Tom as you receive me. I don't understand that. Do you? If he has offended you, I will repay it. I'll pay it all. The God who receives his son also receives us into his family. That is good news. That's the news that those in your family who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the news that those in your community who are without Christ, that's the news that those who are working alongside you at your work need to hear. Not only do they need to hear it, they need to see it. They need to see it. Verse 18, charge that to my account. Every single one of us has wronged the Father. We have violated his law. We have fallen short of the glory of God. My debt (laughs) 
My debt and your debt is eternal hell. That's what my debt is. And Jesus to the Father says, whatever he owes you, I'll pay. And he did. And he did it completely. And he did it perfectly on the cross of Calvary. My debt is paid. I don't owe anything. I don't understand it, except that's God's love. That's the kind of God we serve and we follow. Friends, we are to be a haven right here, and not just here, but in our communities, in our homes, a haven for broken lives. Where restoration is the expectation. And not for our own glory, but for the glory of the one who paid it all, Jesus Christ. Look in Colossians chapter 2, same church, Philemon would have read this too. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. Have you received this mercy and forgiveness? Isn't it amazing? What a comfort, what a joy, what a hope. To think that in the same way that Paul says to Philemon, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account, Jesus is saying to his father, that debt, it's mine. I got it. I pay for it all. We need to remind ourselves of that every day, friends, because... We still live. Even though we are redeemed, we still sin. We have an enemy who likes to speak into our lives lies. Lies that say, you're no good. Lies that say, you're not really saved. How could anyone forgive that? But that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He changes lives. He rescues lives. He's building his kingdom with broken people who have been restored. He calls us to partner with him in this kingdom building work, sharing the good news, living restored lives before others. This last point, the challenge to the church, I think I got ahead of myself. Martin Luther said this, we are all Onesimuses. You and I, at one time, violated the king. We sinned against God. We were born that way. We were rebels against God. And we, we run our own direction. We try to flee but you know, the, the sovereign, loving hand of God, the same hand that directed Onesimus 1,300 miles away to find where he could hear the word of God and be changed, 
The same loving hand is over you and me. Same loving hand. God is, is working to change into the image of Jesus Christ. The same loving hand is saying, I want you now to go to that person. Yeah, they're, they're, they're miserable. Yeah, they are unlovable. Yeah, they violated you. But I want you to treat them with the same mercy that I have given to you. This letter to Philemon, friends, it's an appeal. It really is a call to action. We must have faith in a sovereign God and trust him. He will take the broken people, ourselves and others, he will restore. He will build his kingdom. We are useful for the master's work. We are all Onesimuses. Can you pray and, and by faith ask God to do great things? I mean marvelous things. I mean impossible things. To change the lives of people that you think are just unchangeable. God can do that. He is the glorious God. He is the almighty God. He can do that. And he desires to do that. And maybe he desires to use you in the process. Who do you know who needs this mercy this week? Maybe today. Who is it that God puts on your heart? I would encourage you, think about the depth of the mercy and the richness of, of the love of God in your own life and ask God to help you to reach out to those others because they need to hear this as well. It's not in your notes, but I wanna finish with this. In the book of Colossians, the fourth chapter, Paul is going to finish, well, towards the end of this uh, chapter, verse 17, He's going to say to, remember that man that is probably the son of Philemon, left there to be an intern uh, in, in Colossae? He's going to say to him, to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. You have been shown mercy for a purpose, you have been loved for a purpose. You've been forgiven for a purpose. You're called to be a people who are zealous for the name of God and the glory of Christ. You're called to be the mouthpiece of God to a lost and dying world. Will you obey? Let's pray. Father, we have been reminded again of your loving kindness through Jesus Christ, you have redeemed us. His blood covers those doorposts of my heart and of those here who follow Christ. We don't fully comprehend it, but we thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, thank you for qualifying us to be in the inheritance with the other saints. Father, I pray this week that you would not only work in the hearts of those here, but you would help us to 
to show this mercy to others. And we ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.